Good morning. Let's just pray as we come to the word today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all the richness in there. We thank you that at its very heart is the message of the gospel. Jesus. And Father, today I pray that you'll open our hearts to receive your words and that you'll anoint my lips to bring it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, do any of you remember old Papa's in Fremantle? It was a great, not many, it was a great cafe in Fremantle. Um, and it was one of these cafes that looked quite old, you know, flaking paint, that sort of thing, uh, faded, uh, rustic furniture, and I was having coffee there uh, before hipster was a word with some friends and someone asked, do you think this is real, all the uh, sort of patina around? And a friend who was an architect said they would have paid a lot of money to get this look. Jump onto YouTube or Facebook and I've noticed a lot of the ads now that, that come up at the beginning of face, uh, YouTube because I'm not using an ad blocker. They have this uh, veneer of looking authentic and sort of almost uh, very casual. They're very carefully crafted to, to look like that. We live in a world that craves authenticity and we're willing to pay for it, yeah? Um, I wonder if you, though, have ever gone to a job interview and deliberately put your worst foot forward. You want your potential boss to know all that there is to know about you, warts and all. I'm guessing not. When we're trying to sell something, whether uh, it's yourself in a job interview, whether it's a coffee shop or, or, or a product, product on YouTube, in the end, there's actually only so much authenticity that we really want. We want to have the feeling that this is real, but we actually don't want to see all the grunge. We don't want to see all the muck that, that goes with it. What we really want if we're looking for an employee, if we're looking for a product, is will this perform to what I need it to do? That, that's the bottom line. And in the end, nothing succeeds like success. The thing is, sometimes we carry this attitude over into the kingdom of God as well. And we need to be a little bit careful how we balance this. But what I'm talking about, you go into some churches and they are a machine. They operate really well. You go in, uh, the welcome is polished, the worship is polished, the coffee is great. Now that's a good thing. <laughs> but you know what I mean. In our reading today, Paul actually gives us a very different perspective on gospel ministry because in this passage he talks about when he really did come warts and all it's just a side comment um, but how it opened up the gospel and it's very telling but we're just going to backtrack and uh, and just unpack some of the rest of the passage as well because in this passage Paul is starting to transition from his argument about the law and everything and move into something else. Um, so we sort of pick up the end of, of the chapters, actually, the section that covers several chapters, um, and sort of ends it around verse 11. And then he has this bit of an aside from verse 12 to 20. 
So in, in this first part, he saw it's in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. Um, and he, he talks about the elemental uh, things. And if you were here, I think it was last week, uh, Fletcher talked about in, in the previous passage in verse 3, uh, where it talks about... Um, wrong chapter. Uh, in the same way... Uh, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. So Paul's picking up that same uh, word there and continuing with this theme. Now, there's a little bit of debate over what elements means. It's one of these words that has a wide range of meanings and actually a number of those meanings could fit into this, this context. Uh, but... He says in verse 9, Now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn again to the weak and worthless elements? Um, do you want to be enslaved by them all over again? Your translation may have uh, elemental spirits or forces or something like that. That would sort of fit, that, given that Paul is talking about uh, things that are uh, uh, by nature not gods but I think what Paul is actually talking about here is the elemental principles because this is about elemental things whatever that means is elemental principles of legalism and law that bind us up because this has sort of been the whole context of of what he's talking about and while he's been talking about elemental things in relation to the Judaizers uh, who want to tie up and enslave the Galatians again he's driving his point now home with the Gentile listeners um, that these Torah elements that they love so much, they think they're going to advance, you know, they've come from paganism to the gospel and now these people have come to the Galatia and say, hey, there's something even better, something older, the law, you can get on board with that and really be right with God. Uh, but he's actually saying, look, that law, the elements of the law that you want to get into are actually no different to the pagan elements that you used to be enslaved to. They relished the freedom from bondage from what they thought were gods, but Paul says are not gods at all. Elsewhere he calls them uh, demons. But here... His point is that by turning from uh, or turning to circumcision under the law, they're returning to the same weak and miserable elemental principles that they used to live under. And this is really a slap in the face to the Judaizers because uh, any Jewish person, as any Christian, really would look at the sort of religion that the Galatians had come out of with its idolatry and superstition and everything and say, we are nothing like that. We have an ancient tradition. We have a single God who has given us a moral code, who uh, has proven himself time and again. How can you say that we're anything like that, Paul? And that's exactly Paul's point. He's like, that's what you're wanting to return people to because you're wanting to return them to slavery. Whether it looks like slavery under pagan superstition or whether it looks like slavery under religious legalism, it is still slavery that you're coming under. It's just more of the same fake patina. It looks good, but it's not. So earlier in the letter, 
Paul said that the Galatians, uh, in embracing legalism, were actually rejecting him. And so as we, we move on to verse 12, I beg you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness in the flesh. And so here he reminds them that actually as, as they perhaps unwittingly are starting to reject Paul by embracing this false gospel because they're, they're rejecting the gospel Paul preached, they're rejecting Paul, they're embracing something else. But he says, don't you remember when you actually embraced me full in a, in, in a fully grace filled way that was an expression a response of genuine authenticity on both sides and isn't it kind of sad that I have to put genuine before authenticity because that's what authenticity is meant to be Paul says he came to the Galatians because of a weakness in the flesh and again, there's a lot of conjecture uh, around what that was because we don't have a sickness um, of Paul recorded anywhere in Acts or in the, in the New Testament. Some think it was an affliction of the eyes because Paul says to the Galatians, you would have ripped your eyes out for me. I can testify to that. Others say it's probably just an expression like, hey, I'd give my right arm for whatever. We don't know and it actually doesn't really matter the point is that Paul arrived in Galatia with some kind of physical infirmity and an injury or a sickness and the Galatians had welcomed him with open arms. This is kind of interesting because presumably at this point maybe there were some Jewish people who were welcoming him but you know in terms of when he's just talking to the Galatian churches they didn't know him, they didn't know the gospel yet. This wasn't like Christians welcoming a brother or sister this was some stranger who'd come in need they welcome him and this gives him a chance to open up the gospel to them because he can sort of see their heart he can see an openness there and so Paul's weakness had become an occasion for him to identify an open heart and preach the gospel no fleshy lights Okay, I know they didn't have lights back then, but you know what I mean. No fancy techniques. Paul is sick. He's probably not preaching his best sermons ever. Just powerful gospel words spoken to open hearts. You know, I um, heard the story of a, a, what was a well-known uh, Christian leader in Perth once I don't know if I've told this story before but he he told the story of how he was really sick he was literally on death's door he said he just he said you got to understand this was the time I felt the least Christian but God's grace was working through him and people were just becoming Christians around him they were witnessing God's power not through anything he was doing because he was he was just sick and yet God did all this stuff by his grace in the midst of his weakness and people were responding. They, they just saw God in him somehow. When we're at our weakest, often the gospel is at its strongest. And so Paul laments now that these 
people who had extended such love and friendship to him were becoming his enemy. Um, a lot of translations have, um, you know, have you asked the question, have you become my enemy? Uh, I read one commentary who said, actually, this is probably a statement, because in the Greek, when Paul wrote this, there was no punctuation. It was all uppercase with no spaces. That's how Greek was. So we have to sort of guess what the punctuation is. And Paul is probably actually saying, you're making me your enemy. Again, really confrontational. His lament, his heart's breaking. They're trading him and his message of grace in on what they thought was a better gospel, but it was just more of the same of what they'd escaped when they left paganism for Christ. It's a good thing for us to remember that weakness is often the opportunity for the gospel. Weakness is not an enemy to the gospel. Or maybe that's just pastors that need reminding of that. So let me put it this way. Do you ever feel like you don't have your life together enough to be a good witness, to tell people about Jesus? If you're like me, you probably do. Of course, it is possible to be a really bad witness. There are people who have such a bad attitude or whose life is so unredeemed that you wonder, are they really Christian? And would they please just be quiet because they're giving us all a bad reputation? But I think most of us actually live with a sense of inadequacy and a struggle with sin. And I'm not saying... You know, when I I talk about people who are so bad, I'm not just talking about the ordinary struggles with sin. I don't want to belittle it, but we all struggle with sin to a point, yeah? But here's the thing, if you're struggling with sin, you're still in the fight, right? It's not like I've just given in and said it's okay or it's just all too hard and I'm going to live a carnal life. I'm at least going to keep struggling to be Christ-like. And I, I think most of us just live with this sense of inadequacy, that we think somehow disqualifies us. But Christianity has always been at its best when we're at our weakest. So consider the founders of Christianity, so Jesus even, the apostles were largely uneducated, certainly in any formal sense. Their early leaders, uh, as we go past the New Testament, we know from history were often slaves and women, women slaves, right at the bottom in that culture, at the bottom of the barrel, but elevated in the kingdom of God. Today, some of the fastest growing churches are some of the least educated, most poor, most persecuted, with limited access to scripture, and yet God blesses them because he says, Elsewhere, my power is made perfect in weakness. And it shouldn't surprise us because this is the pattern that Jesus himself said, isn't it? And I know it's kind of hard when we compare ourselves to Jesus, the Son of God. How can I ever live up to that? But that's actually the point because Jesus, when he came and incarnated as a human, he actually took on every handicap that he could. He was born into just a very ordinary family under kind of socially awkward circumstances, pregnant teen, hey, it was God. Yeah, who's going to believe that? 
an obscure nobody. He upset everybody and he achieved his greatest victory in redeeming humanity through his suffering and death when he was most humiliated and when it looked like he had most soundly suffered defeat. That is the standard of the gospel. He also worked miracles and moved in the power of God. But his work of redemption was done on the cross. And so here's the point that Paul has been making. His whole point with the Galatians and their wrestle with legalism and saying, put it aside, don't, I know it seems like it's going forward, it's actually going backwards. His point is that we do not need to meet human standards of success. For the Galatians, success was starting to look like having your religious life together. That's exactly what obedience to the law looks like. It's all about performance. It's all about how can I obey the rules, and some of those are moral rules, and some of those are religious rules, and I have it together. Look at me. Aren't I good, God? But that's not what the gospel is about. Paul reminds them, in fact, that that was not what had uh, attracted them to the gospel in the first instance. Paul had not come in power. He had come in weakness. He had come sick and ill. And yet they had received that gospel. Not a gospel of success, not a gospel of religious observance, but a gospel of grace and of peace that Paul preached and in that moment very powerfully lived and it didn't just live in Paul but in them for whatever reason they accepted him as a stranger who didn't have anything to impress them with with that message what he did have and what they discovered was Jesus Jesus who was promised through the law and then superseded the law that they're wanting to go back to. Jesus who poured out the Holy Spirit on them and go back and, uh, and you, you can read at the end of chapter 2 and beginning of chapter 3 and so on just how the Holy Spirit was, was poured out in Galatia. They had experienced miracles. They were probably a charismatic church. And God had done that regardless of religious performance. They didn't need to press into law or religion. They needed to press into Jesus. They needed to press into his grace through faith. And so Paul says in verse 19, My children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. After all this effort, Christ is still not formed in you. They seem to have forgotten him. So how often do we disqualify ourselves because we don't think we've got it together enough? discouragement or even sometimes false humility can hold us back uh, from pressing into the things of God uh, because we don't think 
we have it together when all we really need to have together is Jesus. And it's very simple. And you say, well, I don't really do my quiet time very well and I don't read my Bible enough and I don't pray enough. So put all that aside because those things are good and you know I preach those things. But it, uh, another way, they just become more religious observance if we're not careful. And we need to get to the heart of what all that is about, which is Christ, and just set our affections and our longings on Him. Everything else is just going to follow. If I want something, I do the things that I need to do to get that thing. It's not about the doing itself, it's about the goal. So if you're an athlete and you want to compete at the Olympics you go into this strict training regime and diet and all this sort of stuff but it's not about the training regime it's not about the diet it's about the goal of competing at the Olympics if you're going after that romantic interest <laughs> maybe it costs a bit of money and flowers and dinners or whatever chocolates whatever else it is time it's about that it's not actually about the flowers and that sort of thing it's about them and it's the same with Jesus. If we pursue Jesus and everything else that we need to do to get Jesus, will follow. So it begins with the heart and then sometimes even then you think, well, I don't. So then our, I, I, just, I don't even know that I want to do that. I sort of believe and that's why I'm here today, but I, I don't have that, that zeal, that passion for Christ. Then our prayer needs to simply be, God, give it to me. Sometimes our prayer is, I want to want Jesus, I want to want more of you. But don't let discouragement hold you back from pressing into the things of God because you somehow think you're not worthy of it or you, you haven't lived up to it. Sometimes the flip side is we try to fake authenticity because we know that the real me isn't up to snuff. <laughs> I don't know if that's less of an issue at Bentley. Uh, the 10 months I've been here, Bentley seems pretty real. But, you know, it's always a danger for us in the Christian world that we'll slip back into a performance-oriented Christianity, at least in the way we present. Because the great news is God uses us in our weakness because His power is made perfect in weakness. I didn't spend a lot of time on uni when I, uh, on the uni campus when I was studying. So when I did my theology degree to train uh, to be a pastor, I went through the Baptist Theological College, but it was actually in partnership with Murdoch. So I have a Murdoch degree. Um, and most of my units were taken on the Baptist campus, but I had one or two that I had to do through Murdoch. And so once, the one semester I was actually on campus, I built a bit of a relationship with this guy who was doing it was one of the foundational units he was a lapsed catholic and we ended up having a lot of long conversations about faith and life and all this sort of stuff and and quite honestly as a first year bible college student i didn't have any slick answers um, i don't know if i had any bad answers either i was actually pretty useless i think as a first year bible college student on the university campus but what this guy said to me at some point was that, you know, what I appreciate is your humility in the way you approach this. I wonder if he was confusing humility with incompetence, <laughs> but that doesn't matter. The point is, in talking to him, I came in weakness, not in power. 
And I don't know if that guy pursued God anymore. I lost contact with him after that semester. But I like to think that God used that in some way. And so if God could use Paul when he arrived in Galatia so sick and uh, in what must have been excruciatingly frustrating circumstances for Paul. Can you imagine Paul who is trained under the best scholars of his day? I mean, Paul was the star pupil. He would have been trained in theology. He's trained in rhetoric. He's got the best of the Greek and the Hebrew world. He knows his stuff. He's had this radical encounter with Jesus, this amazing testimony and he gets to Galatia and he's just sick this is my great missionary endeavor God what is going on if God can use that to open up the gospel to Galatia if God can use me in my incompetent weakness on a university campus then God can use you in your gracious and loving weakness as well not necessarily having all the answers having an attitude, having Jesus. Not because you have it together, not because you're particularly spiritual. There are atheists out there who are much more moral people than me and most of us. And yet there is a power in a heart that is connected to Jesus. So we don't need to be afraid of our weakness but we don't let to let it control us either. We need to press in to Jesus, who achieved victory through weakness. Jesus, who is formed in us. And then our weakness becomes the power of the gospel to others who are also weak. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord that although probably most of us feel somewhat disqualified in many ways that's exactly what qualifies us because Jesus in it makes it all about you and not about us so Lord I pray that you will encourage us to press into Christ and present him not having fine sounding arguments not having a full grasp on theology and not having our lives together. Lord, I pray that we will grow in all those things. We want to live lives that are full of goodness and love and self-giving and grace. But Lord, let us in our weakness uh, not be held back from presenting the truth of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus to those around us who need it. In Jesus' name, amen.